Welcome everyone to The Scale Lab, brought to you by TechLeap. I am your co-host, Joe Wilson. I'm here with my partner in crime, Konstantin Bonaranya. And I think our guest today embodies the idea of what an entrepreneur wants to be and then also giving back to the ecosystem. Konstantin, what do you think? Yes, I think we have a very special guest today. Uh, we're one of the first female founders of a unicorn in Europe, I assume. Um, an entrepreneur whom, uh, for whom giving back has become uh, a personal mission. As a philanthropist, investor, board chair, I have to full disclosure here because uh, our guest is also uh, chairman of, of TechLeap, the TechLeap board. So, uh, um, uh, and to the amazement of uh, Paul Graham, you probably know, uh, the founder of uh, Y Combinator, who, Twittered, who tweeted that uh, he was surprised why um, our guest wasn't uh, much more known and a star in the European ecosystem. And, and we're talking about uh, Corinne Vigreux. Uh, you probably figured that one out. And so my first uh, question to you, Corinne, would be, um, so why do you think that is, that, um, you know, in, in, in Europe, we don't celebrate uh, entrepreneurs like we do in the US. You would have been, you've been uh, a leading figure in, in the US tech scene if you had been in the US. And now you, you're doing incredible stuff in the Netherlands, but it's more modest, it seems. Yeah, also, probably because I've always kind of to operate below the radar. That's mm. also a little bit of a conscious choice. Uh, I'm probably more a doer. Um, I don't really necessarily need to be in the limelight. I think when I put myself in the limelight, it was mainly to get Kodam to be known. So I think it's a choice as well. It's um, I never felt it was necessarily necessary to uh, to really uh, uh, be uh, at the forefront or promote my image. I suppose I don't know. Uh, it's probably due to character, and certainly at TomTom we're a little bit like that as well. And maybe it's a little bit Dutch as well that uh, you don't want to brag too much. I think that's uh, it's a bit uh, yeah, staying below the radar, doing your thing, and. Um, uh, it's probably cultural, but it's. I mean, let's let's be clear. You're not you're not uh, originally Dutch, so no. there's a different beginning point, and you know the French have been known to toot their own horns from time to time. So yeah, I suppose it's. Uh, I'm not sure there is much to be gained. I mean, you, you always think certainly on a philanthropic side. I mean, I've been below the radar for a long time. I started the foundation in 2005, and really people found out when I went out with Kodam, and I do a lot more than just Kodam. I suppose the reason is. Um, it doesn't matter to me. What I'm doing it is for the people I'm doing it for. I don't necessarily want to be, uh, you know. Uh, you don't yeah. want to make it about you. You want to make no, it about the No, it's not about work. me. Yeah. 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 What's your drive? What's I mean, you're doing so much stuff. You're you're still, you know, senior executive in a in a listed company. You are um, starting new new schools. You you're operating in different countries. You are board. Uh, a board member of Just Eat Takeaway, you're in boards of uh, cultural organizations, you're an investor. I mean, what's your drive and where do you find the time for all these things? And I'm, I mean, probably I've got a lot of energy. One day someone asks how he would describe me and I wasn't quite sure. I said, but Corinne, you have a lot of energy. So I suppose that that already helps. Um, the drive is that I feel in the position, first of all, I feel I'm very privileged to be in the position I'm in. And I'm not saying that just because I'm here, but I think to, to be able in, to be able to do what I'm doing and have the means to do what I'm doing, I find it's very privileged. And I feel I have a responsibility as well. I mean, I've worked hard and I'm an entrepreneur and I happen to have done well. And uh, and I feel in a way that that gives me, yeah, a responsibility to, to do something with what I've got. And uh, I come from, uh, people know that now, I've, my, my whole life story uh, means that I actually kind of understand, never lost sight of where I came from. And I felt if I could help people along the way, that I was well worth doing. I learned a lot over the years through uh, my previous experience, through TomTom for sure. Um, and I thought maybe maybe I can contribute, maybe I can help with the experience I have. So I love helping young women entrepreneurs. I help. I love uh, that social mobility issue, which I do with Kodam and with other uh, foundations I support across uh, Europe is something that's very dear to my heart. I always said if one day I can, I will uh, help social mobility. I know what it is to go from one part of one side of the line to the other. I know what it is to have an education and, and how important it is. So 
yeah, and I'm not, um, I've got drive. I don't give up. And I suppose that's also what you need as an entrepreneur. I mean, if you, people say, you know, what is the, the biggest asset you can have in entrepreneurship? It's supposed to have drive, resilience. Uh, it's not an easy journey. And uh, ours is 30 years long, so we have a bit of experience. And some of your listeners will have a shorter journey. But what I can tell you, it's never a long fleuve tranquille. Eh? It's, uh, it goes with ups and downs, and you need to dust yourself down and pick yourself up on a regular basis. And I think that drive, that sort of uh, where I want to go, what I want to achieve is what is behind a lot of decisions I've made, either mm-hmm. on the philanthropic side or all the boards I sit in. If I think I can contribute, then I do it. Yeah, so you mean you have a quite a unique history and overview of, of entrepreneurial experience for now the last uh, 30 plus years. And uh, so maybe we can... We can go back to uh, yes, to the early days we'll of TomTom. Rewind Tom. the time machine for like yeah. uh, and, uh, for a few minutes. And, and maybe go to um, some of the lessons you had in the different phases and some of the critical choices you made in growing the company towards IPO. Okay, that's most of our most of our listeners are are you know in that in that phase. So when um, uh, what were the critical decisions you made, and when did you did you know that you had product market fit? Yeah, I suppose a lot of sometimes people think that uh, you find out really quickly whether your product is fit for the market. That's not the case. Uh, what we did, if you look at TomTom, we built insight over a number of years. So by a number of years, you check your assumptions. You, you, you're ahead of the market. Uh, you think you have something uh, and you want to make sure you want, you want to check your market fit. So for us, for example, we had the first uh, handheld computers and then you uh, we put a map on it and then we realized, geez, people are buying these 10 to 1 compared to any of our other product. Now, there's something there. And at the time, the product was not very sophisticated. So after that, you think, well, uh, we, we created uh, a navigation device which consisted of a handheld computer, a CD player, a, uh, a CD at the time, uh, a GPS mouse. You put all that together. It was a big box. And geez, 800 euro, people were buying it in drones. I mean, we sold out in a month. So, you know, not only there is a need, but people are prepared to put with quite a lot of friction to be able to get this to work. So then we thought if we made a very easy to use product, a touchscreen, drive home, uh, we have a chance. And, and that doesn't go much further than that. So how much do you think you could find a, someone who can manufacture it? How many do you think we can sell in a year? Yeah, maybe 200,000. And then you kind of take a big risk, but at the same time, you've tested your assumption that 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 sort of answers a problem that people have. And we knew that getting from A to B was very cumbersome in the time we launched our first product. So the lesson, I suppose, is it doesn't happen from one day to the next. You build a lot of insight, you test your assumptions, you test it with your customers. And as you gain confidence, it helps you with the level of risk you're about to take. Did you did you think that Tom, I mean when I look back on TomTom I think this began as quite a technical company at the time the complexity of what you were trying to do was it was very high it wasn't simply still hard but it's different today was this always a product led company was this always a, you guys always thought through the product first and then the audience second or did it go the other way for you we always thought about the problems we're solving okay and we always thought about the customer uh, and it, it all started with and for everything that we've done what we did uh, at the beginning. Uh, we're doing sort of logistic solution and uh, trying to get uh, data to people who are repairing lifts and, and coffee machines. You know, how do they get that data when they need it? So we were the first one to use uh, packet switch data network to send data to, to. But that was not because we could, but because we identify a problem and we were trying to find a solution to solve it. And I think, and that's also what we do today. Uh, if you look today and the, the way we develop our products, uh, we just announced. We do a digital cockpit for the cars because there isn't a simple solution, easy to use, uh, no friction, uh, future proof that exists in the automotive industry. So everything that we've always done has been 
driven by customer. We, we were fan fanatic about it. I mean, you can imagine, so at the time, uh, the, a lot of the data were on CDs and we had to update them. People were sending them CDs in big bags. I remember the, we, we had uh, an office on the Sparstrat and the, uh, the, the, the mail guy would go with big, you know, bags of CDs. with bags <laughs> of CDs. And then uh, and we were sort of sitting down, updating them, having the name of people and sending them back. Oh, they it would was, send you the CD yeah, and you would yeah, send, send the same CD back. Yeah, there's 40, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with a new updated version. So we, we didn't think this doesn't make sense. So we said, well, do, those people need new data. How are we going to do that? I think there was always, uh, we always worked and, and found solution to solve mm -hmm. a customer problem. And it, that, that also drove your pivots. Yeah. You, because you, you first, someone in the elevator doing a repair work is a very different different person, different customer as well than than somebody driving a car from A to to B. Uh, so, I mean, how, how did how did you identify that uh, you had to make a switch that the market had changed? How do you do that? How do you get that agility in your company? Well, first of all, you look what we were really good at at the time is making really good. So you need to really go back in a time machine. In 92, 91, you didn't have internet. You didn't have computers that worked. You know, it was really primitive. And we were very good at making really easy to use software for blue collar workers. So people who were now, so in the, so we knew how to make software that people could use. That was really easy. And so we started with B2B and then we thought, well, we're also making B2C software, we're making bilingual dictionaries and uh, financial calculators and these sort of products um, because we wanted to build a brand, we wanted to have a bigger market than B2B, especially I did that, I, I, I wanted to build a brand. I thought, well, uh, it's nice all this uh, B2B long cycle, but we have something there, we can really make nice software for those small form factor. And so that's how we pivoted from B2B to, and we still had the B2B on the back, but that, that was a, a way to make money as well. Because if you do a B2C product right, you uh, you can scale fast. Yeah, you, because you, you were distribution. bootstrapped until IPO. We right? were bootstrapped so, for yeah, a long, yeah, yeah, we bootstrapped up to 2005. Yeah. And then, so we were making money. We were actually the biggest software developer for P&D for a long time and the, with the best quality. That also helped us later on in life. And the pivot then was, okay, well, we make all this software. We were doing all of that. The dictionary was selling well financial calculator was selling well. We had the bookkeeping program that was selling well. And when we started putting mapping, the, the sales just escalated. So that's how you pivot. We had a lot of expertise. We knew how to make product very easy to use for small form factor. And we wanted to get bigger and scale and find more product that answer the need. And it's basically how the thinking goes. So in the expansion, like I think with one more on product, but this is more the overall business. A lot of these, a lot of companies today, they think very technology based and they think I'm going to build it all myself and, you know, everything is going to be invented out of this particular organization end to end. You guys use M&A early on as a strategy for growth. Maybe you can reflect or share why you made those decisions. Well, we, we, the development was all internal. So I think up to the moment when we bought, so we, we did a lot of the development inside the company. Yeah? So all the tech and all, all was done inside. Uh, actually, for a long time, there was only tech guys and me. And uh, I was doing everything else except coding. And then we, we IPO'd. And the reason we IPO'd, even so we were, we were experiencing tremendous growth. And we IPO'd because we knew that we were anticipating the need that at some point we would need to make some big acquisition to stay competitive. Mm -hmm. and and it's after the IPO that we acquired Teleatlas. So we, we decided at some point um, our biggest competitor was American company decided to go hardware, which was in their mm. DNA, that people who were very used of making their, their own factories. So they, they started to make telephones and we decided to go software. So we said, well, we're in the business of navigation. And if we want to, for the long term, what we would need is to have the map. And that's the reason why we decided to buy a map company. Uh, so we bought a map company, which we could do because we just IPO'd. And then we bought a traffic uh, data company. And then we bought a logistics, a web fleet, was called uh, Data Factory at the time, that was doing uh, logistics. It became Web Fleets, a company we divested and we sold to Bridgestone last year. When we bought Teleatlas, it was, they were as big as we were, actually a little bit bigger than we were. So we, and, and I was following and, and our, our strategy and our vision of uh, basically still 
giving our customers the best possible information. The idea was we're getting feedback, map edits from our customers. Can you imagine if we put this on a base map, we can have a map in real time? Mm. That's still what we're trying to do today. But maybe we're getting a, closer. There's a there's a uh, a pause for an interesting lesson inside here, which was if, if someone didn't pick it up, IPO was a means to your ability to go out and grow and do acquisition, rather than some of our companies we meet today think of it as a destination, as if it's an endpoint of some sort, right, for the founders. And you guys never well, saw an it that way. Well, endpoint for investors as well. As well, but, but you, didn't have investors. you never saw it that yeah. way. You saw it as a well. We didn't have investors. That's why it, it was really we. It, it was anticipating that if we wanted to grow and we wanted to compete in this market, we needed to have access to capital. And if you want to go an IPO, you better do it while you're growing and while the and and in this industry, it's all about timing. Mm. Um, so that's that's what. We, but indeed, it wasn't an end date. It was. Kind of a, a necessary, necessary stepping stone. If means you want. to an end. It means to an yeah. end. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There was not a lot of venture capital around at the time. Maybe we can we can delve into that. Uh, in in you you did not have a venture capital investor. Uh, you bootstrapped into IPO. Um, since then, you grew the business. You pivoted a few times again, uh, but you've also become an investor yourself. So, if you overlook the whole tech landscape now and and how uh, crucial uh, the venture capital industry has become, also in determining valuations, but also kind of the, the whole unicorn concept and 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 the growth maybe over revenue. If you look overlook all that, what's your what's your um, insight um, in and what would your advice be to to companies as they grow and how they interact with venture capital yeah i think i think it's always the the beauty of being an entrepreneur is, is that you have freedom to and so you you have an idea and uh, you have the means you have the drive and you want to execute on 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 what you've decided to do and as i said earlier on it's not an easy journey you need it it's, it, it's hard and then you, you know, it's, it's made of ups and downs so i guess when you have investors you want them to understand that dynamic uh, so i think for any companies you would want to choose your investors very carefully you want them to understand uh, often the investors will, will invest in you with the view of getting out and making money in the process and that's perfectly understandable and you need that money to be able to grow but i think if they look at the way i invest or the company we invested in that there we, we basically look at the team we look at it much longer term uh, we try to they, they choose us because they feel that we can help them in terms of our experience as well so you you sit there uh, and you have level of empathy and and yeah, so you understand what they're going through so i would say that it's better not to have too many investors it's best better to it depends at which stage you are in your in your growth but also people that that will not stop you making the right decision for the business long term uh, because that's a, there's a dichotomy between the entrepreneurs that has a long-term view and um, and potentially some investor that has a very short-term view and it might force you to take decisions that are not good for the business longer term so it, it is always a bit tricky uh, but there are some really good investors out there I know a few very good investors that are really there to ensure that the, their portfolio company are uh, they're in for the long term the um, just in a little one more on on TomTom -tom. I'm thinking through the capital raise and all the different just I mean the IPO the steps that you guys took were there any times when the company was approaching sort of a big failure and you guys had to pull it back from the edge um, oh, loads. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think that every, you know, people see the success stories, but they don't know that in, somewhere along the way, there were all these moments where you guys were pulling it back from the edge of oblivion. Well, scaling is, is super scary and super difficult. Yeah. Uh, people don't, don't, don't estimate that when you run a business at a certain scale and then you need to uh, multiply that by 10 or 100, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not an easy task. And certainly in the case of TomTom, Tom, uh, the operational side was very complex at the time. And so you had on one side, you had to manufacture product with, uh, there were 450 parts, which were all double sourced. You need to I think at some point we had 10 747 flying from China into Amsterdam every week uh, full of devices at the same and this was dispatching to all the retail landscape
landscape in the world. So you need to match your your uh, planning of buying components, your manufacturing, and then uh, your the, yeah the, basically the retail landscape. So that that all operation that you don't see that's all you know the, under the the waterline. That's very important to get that right. And if you don't get that right, you 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 die. I mean, so there were a few moments in our history where uh, where you're driving that Ferrari very very close to the cliff. So you're driving something that's amazing uh, at very high speed uh, and and yeah it's full of of danger you need to get things right and for that you need to get the right people so but for so for you if i listen well it was momentum was over uh, always trump's precision so you would you would go with momentum and then fix the operational issues as you went along or how, how would you, did you do yeah, that? At some point, the thing is when, when the demand goes, it goes. Uh, you just need to follow. We we were on allocation of products for four years. For four years, we could not fulfill demand. So so you, you catch up with your manufacturing. So you, the planning of making your products is you need to six months ahead. So you need to uh, to really do your, your planning. You need to bring into your software system to manage your operation. You need to bring the right people. You and At the same time, you're going international. National, so you need to manage that over many countries. It's uh, there are some difficult moments, and, and you can have you have quality issues sometimes. Uh, you need to recall products. You need to uh, so, and you have customer support. You get millions of customers. They're calling. They have an issue with their product or not. It's uh, yeah, it's a whole operation. Do you remember how I mean how you manage that? Did you hire? Um, some key experts or did you uh, did you i mean how do you how do you manage that continuous uh basically it's, it's what you basically running from one crisis to the next right yes you you need to have the right people i think that's what's important is um you don't need the same people when you scale than when you so your your group of uh, people you take it to a certain stage and at a certain point you need expertise uh because you become a much mature much more mature business if you want and there are areas where you really need experts um and that's before your listed company when you're listed then it's even worse because you need then compliance and risk and, and all sorts but even just on the operation side on the HR side you need to have people who have seen uh, who have managed big operation I think we were young at the time so if you're young entrepreneurs you it's unlikely none of us had ever worked in a company that had HR Uh, none of us had worked in a company with big operation. So we got the right people. And I remember the, the lady, Rosie Lumley, and uh, she was fantastic. And she'd worked for a big software company and a big hardware company before that. And she saved us. She she really bought all our expertise and managed to completely get all our operation uh, system in order and uh, and. and Then she retired. She was uh, mm. late 50s, early 60s. And um, and I think without Rosie, we would not probably not mm. have uh, I've done it. So you, you're bringing expertise in areas that you don't have yourself. And so, yeah, you need you need people who've done this before. So you need to, to keep your entrepreneurial spirit, your drive, the speed. Uh, people also maybe underestimate when you scale how fast it goes. Um, I think that's the thing with tech. Uh, and I see this in other tech companies compared to more traditional companies is it goes fast. It goes fast and you're in a very competitive environment. So the, the, the level of decision making mm. that you yeah. have to make is really uh, but, so unique for that. In your case, it was pulling you. I mean, it can go fast because you have a very ambitious growth path and, uh, and you have investors that set very ambitious milestones. Yeah. But with you, it was the product that was and, and the market yeah. demand that was driving your. Uh, yeah, yeah, it business. was the demand. I think the, the from Satnave went from yeah. zero to one million uh, faster than than the telephone, the mobile phone. So right. there was the, the demand was was really big and we had a very unique product. And so you're on this on this racetrack and, and you're managing all the problems as you go. And then at a certain point, you probably have you hit some kind of more more relaxing kind of steady, steady pace. And then the market changes again, right? Yeah, and then and then the device, you know, yeah. And then the iPhone comes, and and Waze comes, and there are different competitors on the market. And so, what what keeps you on your toes? Um, and what you know, and 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 when do you see that the trend is so profound that you that it's existential for your company to uh, to get onto it? Well, 
the bits, everything you've said is, is true, except the fact that you, there's never been a moment where you where you're cruising. Okay. And, and that's <laughs> and people say you're often, especially at those times, so now you must be look back and relax a little bit. I cannot remember any time where we could actually say, Phew. because for a long time we didn't, we couldn't make enough. And then when we started making enough, um, then the market switched. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then in the meantime, don't forget, we bought Teleatlas, so we, we had quite a bit of leverage or the, the, of that. And then uh, we were we were making big acquisition. In the meantime, we were developing new lines of products because you keep going and you know that it's not going to last forever. And in consumer electronics, that's, so you're looking at the next, in the back of your mind, what is, you always need to be one or two steps ahead of the game. So. It's never, uh, you never have a moment where you can cruise. Uh, so you, you're always one step ahead. You always keep in mind where you want to go. You, there's products you need to let go. People forget that there's a lot of ideas in an organization. There's a lot of things of what you stop doing as well, mm. because your organization just can't. You, you, so capacity. In terms of capacity, in terms of uh, when I did sport, for example, at some point you, you so you're trying to say, okay, well. Yeah, I because want... you went into sports devices and, yeah. and then cameras. And yes. cameras, so the GoPro kind of yeah. competitor. Yeah, we're that, not scared. Hmm? No, no, that was. <laughs> Take a shot. But no, but I mean, there you, there, uh, the market was already developing very fast and you try to get onto a market. I mean, what uh, didn't you at that point think, oh, are we, we're never going to catch up anymore? Or do you have a have a strategy in which you can you can actually be your fast follower? And that you no, I think we thought, uh, we always thought we could innovate better. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what we did with the camera, we could stabilize, we could make much better film editing mm -hmm. than, than, than GoPro, for example. So we saw, well, we have an advantage there on the software side. So software has always been our yep. strength. Yep. Huh? So that's yep. what we're always good at. So we saw, well, we can, we can do that. So we felt we, we could do better. So I think mm. that's a bit what drives us. We see something as how we can do better. And for this, with the sports watch was the same. We were the first company, nobody knows that, but we bought heart rate on the wrist, for example. So a lot of the innovation that you see today that are, uh, yeah, that are used by everyone now, we're coming from TomTom. And then at some point, the, the key is that you also need to make some choices. So mm. your, your company, we, we had, the, the sat-nav bid was so big that when it started declining and you want to compensate that revenue, you need to find something else that's, that's very really big. big. Yep. And there's not that many things that are that very big. Mm -hmm. So you, you're constantly looking at your organization and, uh, and what is the way. And same time, not losing sight that you're trying to solve a problem for someone. Because yeah. I think the danger at some point is just to to start doing things in a vacuum because you can. Mm. I think that's always the danger with with any products is to start losing sight of the customer. Yeah. Who am I doing it for? Why because am what, I doing you, it? When you went to sports, was was there a customer demand that drove dro drove that, or was it because you saw? that similar companies were doing this and then uh, Nike approached us. Mm -hmm. So we started to, uh, so we, we, we looked at, uh, yeah, we were starting looking at, at watches and then we got in, in talks with Nike and uh, we developed a, a watch together. Uh, we sold about a million and then we saw, okay, we, we can do this. Uh, we can go and launch it on our own brand. And that was a bit, uh, that was a bit uh, the way it went. Mm. So sometimes you try things. We also try uh, uh, an E-Trex type product for uh, working in the mountains, but we thought we'd never launch that product because we thought it was not going to be, we could not compete. Uh, with the watches, we, we thought we could compete. We thought, well, we have a really good mm. And actually, um, that product was was hugely successful. Um, so yeah, that's how. And then you say, well, there's a company that in our field that that can do both. Maybe we can too. But for us, it was a stretch too far. And also, at, at the same time, we needed to pick and choose what we were doing. And I think we had the, this automotive track we embarked on as well. We're very strong in the automotive industry, and that's also very demanding. So at some point, you can't spread yourself too thin either. But just a little bit of reverse, did you, what, did you guys know at the time when you were, I guess you had uh, more demand than you had supply? Did you know that that was your moment? Did you know that you were in that moment and it was, it may not last forever, so you better do something to make it last longer? But I think a lot of companies, they get into that center where really things are going as fast as possible. 
and and they don't take advantage of it. Like they don't do the next step for the future while they're in the good spot because they're too busy with the current stuff. So I'm curious if you guys had the foresight to say past. Yeah, we, we came. So we learned a lot from Sion. We all came from, from right. Sion and I think we'd seen it happen there. So we were quite... Uh, uh, we were very. We knew this was not going to last forever. Okay. Uh, so like you needed to have the next step. There's a lot of wisdom in that. I think. Yeah, and I think you, for your listeners, it never lasts forever. Uh, so especially in tech, there's always uh, someone who will start a new product from a blank sheet of paper with new technology. You have a lot of technological debt. Um, you can be very clever, but again, what you've you know at some point you need a lot of courage to just throw everything you have to use new tools to use new uh, yeah to 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 repurpose and refactor your technology. So there's a lot of decision that one has to make when you run a tech company, and um, so yes. And you see it for for many companies. At some point, that goes very well, and then at some there's always an after. There's always someone else that's coming, and uh, so of course, when you have the scale, if you look at at the gaffers, at some point you have a certain scale, you're pretty much untouchable. Uh, but as we all know, there's not many companies in that situation. One more question on people. Um, you know, I think you're known for diversity. You know, advocating diversity. You're known for talking about talent when you do your different talks at the leadership level. You guys had to make hires along the way. Are there things that you look for that aren't typical, that aren't, you know, the, you know the history matches, the experience matches? And all that. Is there something else that you look for, you know, when you're trying to hire someone to lead that might that our listeners might not might not see as obvious? I, I think it's very important that it fits with your culture. I mean, company culture is, is everything. I mean, you have... Uh, uh, if you look at in company like TomTom, you survive or you thrive actually if you're very if you can make decisions. So you are, we are very relatively flat organization. So I think it's important, depending on on one's company culture, to recognize that uh, those are the type of people you want, or, or on the contrary, you don't want. You've got also uh, leadership at the top that decide that they're very everything needs to be centralized and go through them. In which case, you need different type of people. So for us, we really look at that. Uh, culture fit. We spend a lot of time in making sure that our leaders are, uh, are you know, we look at excellence in leadership and in, in being examples in, in making decisions and look at impact. So we are, all our leaders, we, we analyze and we ask them to analyze their impact on the business and their contribution to the business. How, how do you do that? What's, what's the, the indicator for impact? Well, we look at so basically what would have what have they done that would not have happened if it hadn't been there uh, and how they are leading their own team. We look at engagement from their team, but also look at, at impact. What mm. have they done, the decisions that they've taken, mm. the people that they've recruited, uh, how they've contributed to, to, the, to the objective of the business. This is beyond you, yeah. just metrics, though. How this do you is... quantify that? We have a process, but uh, we basically look at uh, all our senior leaders and then you, yeah we you, you can review what uh, yeah what they've done i mean uh, it's relatively concrete so you, everybody the, the lines of and role and responsibilities are quite clear and then you look at uh, yeah the way they've they've they build the, the team that they've built, the engagement that they have from their team, uh, the impact they've had on technology, on product, on bringing people on board on certain type of uh, matrix, cost reduction, on bringing new technology, mm. being efficient. There could be anything depending on where you see in your organization. So this is there's a couple of statements in here about culture. Maybe we can just touch on that. And and the question I have is. Not what's the culture, but how did you allow that culture to evolve as you went through different stages? Because you obviously couldn't be fixed or you would have got stuck. No, but I think culture comes from the top. I think that's that's who you are. As, as the culture always it always trickles down. I mean, the way we behave as a leadership team, as founders, uh, that's that's the, the company is uh, yeah is basically a reflection of that. And uh, and you instill the the yeah the, the yeah the way we behave, the decision we make, the way we make decision is something that's replicated throughout throughout the business. So I think that's how often people say, oh, you're going to grow, you're going to lose your culture. I don't believe that. I think actually, uh, yeah, the culture is driven by uh, by the people who, who, who run the business. And do, you, do you articulate it in any specific way, the culture, or what you expect from people? Because you were very specific when you talked about hiring people and what you expected from them and then about measuring. So there's a lot of a lot of very, very deliberate um, actions there. 
um, how does that relate to a culture from the top? I mean, you would think that then that's also very explicit because you know what you want to measure. Yeah, also, also we, we say that at TomTom you can achieve more. Huh? That's a bit of our lo- motto. So we're also very careful in, in making sure that people have got career paths and that uh, we promote. We're not very uh, traditional in the way we, we would promote people. We try to look and ensure that our leaders and our managers uh, look at the at having the right people in the right place. Mm-hmm. Giving We give opportunity to very young people in the organization, depending on their potential. I, I don't know. It's, uh, uh, it's structured. At the same time, it's... Uh, it's a company where you can really thrive if you are if you take we give you as much as you can take and we we have a, a nice mentorship program as well so uh, uh, I, I'd like to think we're a safe environment so people are quite happy to tell you what they think we try to be as close as possible to our to our employees yeah. we have a ask me anything session once a month where they by topic where the CTO or the CPO will will, will talk to the whole company they can ask questions we have our own hands so we try to be really and, and especially during the during covid we have those things where everybody log in and how old and myself and uh, and then you get very close to people all of a sudden it's uh, yeah it's you get close we, we are we try to be clear about also the objectives of the business i think people forget that sometimes you think as leaders the top of the you know where you're going but you've lost people two layers down, they've no idea. So I think what's important is also to be very clear about what is the objective, where we go, we're trying to go, and how the team you work in is contributing to the objective of the company, and you within that team, how you're contributing to the objectives. And I think trying to show people what is their contribution to that sort of northern start that you have, I think that's very important. Your company went through uh, of difficult times, and and you have very loyal uh, loyal employees. And um, but how do you keep people motivated? If you're a public listed company, and analysts are shooting at you uh, because you know they expect certain performance, and you're actually pivoting big time, and you have to build up a whole new tech stack, and uh, you you're you you have to find you know capital to invest. I mean, how do you keep people motivated across that that time? Because it's been a considerable amount of time. Yeah, I think it's being clear about the objectives and where you're where you're going, what your nose of stars is, and what you engineers especially like to work with companies or solving big problems. So uh, sure. yeah, check join the club. Mm. <laughs> uh, they like to work with other people who are uh, yeah smart and and inspire them. So that as well, we've got some quite exceptional engineers and and software engineers and software architect and product people. Um, so yes, it's it's um, yeah it's clarity of of where we want to go and also the mission we're on. I mean there are two or three companies in the world that do what we do. Uh, one is a big American company and, and there is a little bit of, we, you know, we, we can do, we ah, can yeah, so compete So it's a bit of there. a David and Goliath. There. There's a bit of David and Goliath and, uh, and there's a bit of challenge we gave, mm-hmm. we give ourselves, but at the same time, it's not mad enough that they think we can't. So there's mm-hmm. also a belief that we think we can, we think we will uh, play a role. We, we also play a, a, a good role in, in the automotive industry, yeah. in the enterprise business with our geolocation stuff. So there is, and, and this mapping the map, the, the, the world in real time, it's something that appeals to people. So Yeah, but it must be more than that. You must be, there must be something that you, you either through your communication or through incentives, something that you, that you do to, to keep this this engine going yeah, at, leadership at i think i think harold is 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 extremely well respected as ceo as a leader of the business i think that uh, and alain on, on the map side uh, so i think that um, people see that the, the leadership of this company has got its its heart in the right place we, we're there you to do going. the right yeah. thing yeah. and uh and we're doing it for the right reason so, we and do. it's also loyalty from the top kind of feeds down to the loyalty, yeah, loyalty from the top we're there we we we, we don't you you know, we, we we set out the course. We are um, we're passionate about what we do, and I think that uh, that trickles down. Yes, and yeah. and uh, and yeah, we feel we are on a on a real mission. So uh, so passion and purpose and yeah. clarity. 
Yeah, yeah, those yeah, three. Clarity yeah. of mission. But then there's, yeah. a, there's a sense of being authentic inside of there as well. Yeah, I think yeah. authenticity for me is also that. Uh, and also we, we're not shy away when things are difficult. You know, we, we're quite, we showed vulnerability as well. We don't always, doesn't always work. Um, but um, and we're in this together. I think also uh, the, the fact that we let people also contribute. And huh? we have a, a lot of very good people at the top and, and uh, they, they can express themselves, they contribute. It's, it's a real teamwork. Yeah. There's an evolution of culture, as you sort of talked a little bit about it, but there's also the evolution of you. So if you think through, maybe it's as a career, it's you've been with TomTom Tom quite some long time. There must have been some pretty key moments where you were either forced to grow or you really had to grow or accept or change something. I'm curious what the, what sort of evolution you've had to go through in order to grow with the company. Yeah, I suppose it's... Uh... Uh, I'm certainly a lot milder now than I was when I was younger, but uh, it's, yeah, you learn all the time. I mean, at the beginning, you're impatient, you don't understand. I've asked someone to do something, why don't they just do it, you know? It's, uh, uh, and then you you get more, yeah, you get more experience. And, and I think you realize how important um, people are. Companies is about people. But it is about people. And I think that's important to make sure you take uh, people with you in, in your journey. So, yeah, what I've learned is that there are moments where you sit down and you, you I often ask myself, you know, do I still contribute? What's my value? Do I had I, it's never you, you never run through something like this thinking that you're on the top of the world. You, I mean, very regularly. So, so ask myself the same thing. If I wasn't there, what would not happen? You know, what is my contribution? What is my impact? Uh, and if I can't answer that positively, then uh, then. Uh, then you have to to step out, and I think your rules change and evolve over time. I'm saying now you probably uh, it's, it's less really operational. Mm. It's more uh, mentoring. It's more strategic. So it's it's. Uh, it's I, but I I did think when a company hit 500 people, I, I did think I was not set up for that job anymore. I said okay, okay. I said to, at 500 people, I stop, and 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 you don't because you you still. Because I liked it, because I, I liked the mission we were on, I liked the people I was working with, I love my team, um, and and you keep going. We have entrepreneurs listening that have, two, I'd say, two different groups. One, maybe could do this in the future. The other, have passed a point where they could give back, and maybe they're not giving back. Yeah, it's not for me to, to I'm not there to teach anyone a lesson. At the end of the day, I do, I do me and they do them. I mean, that's, that's. but, but for me, it was, it was obvious again, as I said before, I, I felt that, that I was in a position to do that and I get a lot of satisfaction out of doing that. I mean, you know, going to Kodam, it's, it's brilliant. I see all those young uh, students uh, just enjoying what they're doing and uh, and I think go back if I hadn't yeah, if I hadn't done this they wouldn't be here so you in terms of impact feels pretty good so it's yeah it's it all depends how one's wired and for me it was uh, I get a lot of pleasure out of that I, I and, and I seeing people grow and and seeing people so so there was an obvious things to do but I think uh, I think everyone has to do what they what they feel I think that's uh, but at some time all of us did that so uh, Peter set up the Turing Foundation which is uh, was dedicating to art and uh, leprosy education uh, Peter Franz set up Jumpstart which uh, helps uh, promising musicians have access to uh, wealthy to, to expensive instrument it's arguably in your giving back there's certainly foundations and there's nonprofit work and all, but you've also you're also giving back directly into the startup ecosystem and I think that's the, the one I want to point on just a little bit. I, I'm not as neutral as you. My belief system is if this is the way that you were able to have this kind of success in life, then you have a debt to pay to some level, whatever makes sense to you, that you should give back into that system and help it grow. I, that's the, how I feel. You're much nicer about this than me. I like your position. You're doing this as well. So I'm curious, uh, what drives you then to say, oh, I want to invest in these young startup companies and these young ideas? Because you certainly could go and do an art foundation and, and probably get great fulfillment out of that too. No, because I think that I know what it is as an entrepreneur to uh, 
yeah, to, to be through those moments where you need access to capital and it's not that easy and you see a good team, you see the drive, you see the future, the potential, and you say, oh, yeah, I, I can do something, I can help there. Uh, I can help them with money, I can help them with advice if they want to, and, uh, and, and it's nice to see those companies do well. I think we all get our kick in different ways, and uh, that's, uh, for me, that's... Uh, and that's why I think we all have to follow our inner... You know, if we start saying to people you have to do that, I think that's. I'm not sure I'm with you on that. I think I think we need to to do what we think is right, and hopefully in the process as well, we'll make return on that investment. By the way, because not only it's fun, but I think certainly in the case of those companies, I'm sure they will do very well. So uh, it's nice to be part of that journey as well. Okay, so uh, let's move out of the sort of typical questions, and we'll go into our kind of rapid fire round. Uh, I'll start with the the Dutch market. Are there one or two things about the Dutch market you'd like to change in order to make it even easier to build and grow a, a scalable company here? I think Holland is pretty well placed. I think uh, what I there may be more I, mean, I would say there may be more angel and more seed uh, capital to grow companies. But if I look at it, I think that uh, I'd love to see uh, Holland being at the at, at, in the at the beginning of the next big uh, tech companies in Europe. And I think there is a climate here that uh, that can allow for that. But again, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I feel I'm a guest in this country, so I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm French. Uh, I've done. Uh, I'm giving back, but I've also, uh, you know, I've also enjoyed uh, being able to build a company here and and done well. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's for me to. I, I'm not. Want to give too much judgment? I think it's it's a great country to establish a business. There's a lot of business no, to strive No judgment, just uh, <laughs> an, no, but an advice. You said you're a doer, so uh, you already did something. You started Codam. What what is another? If you would have a magic wand, you know, so not as a criticism, but as a what is it that you would would fix? Well, I, I, so the, the thing that frustrates me the most is is why the the, the overheight and the, doesn't see the importance of tech education. That is really for me the the, the biggest thing. The fact that that uh, the to to grow the, the whole economy is going digital. The formal education. Yeah, yeah. Te technical education and, and digital education. I think that um, because if we look at the money is there and will come around. There's money. Uh, there is uh, you know. The, the, the big key is talent, and I think to grow company anywhere in Europe, to to the whole world is going digital. And what frustrates me is that that the people who who, who are at the head of the country and the education side do not see uh, that how urgent it is to uh, to tackle this issue, and that is very very frustrating. You're into you're into. Uh one of my favorite places here, uh, just because what I think you're saying is you're not just talking about STEM and you're also talking about specifically teaching towards what you consider to be the digital future or the current future, which is technical. I mean, every company is a software company. Every yeah. company is a digital company. There are no non-technical companies in our future. And we pull back to the principles of, say, running a business, but we're not teaching enough technology. Are we on the same page with that? Yeah, we're not. We're not digital education. I mean, if you look today, everything is changing. The way you consume information, the way you target customers. It's not only tech, it's, it's marketing, it's everything. Everything is driven by algorithms. And those algorithms are written by someone. And at least people should understand. In the olden days, you would learn Greek and Latin to try to understand the basis grammar and understand you know, how, how the world works in terms of the, the, the linguistic. Today, it, it's digital. So even if you're not going to be a coder, at least understand what's behind driving the everything that you do every day, what you get on your phone, the apps that you use, uh, the news that you read, how that's filtered, the advertising that you get. Just have a bit of understanding of that world around you. And... And with a bit of luck, you can participate in that. You can be a positive actor. The problem is, I feel today we keep people in the dark. We make this technical as a, a bit of a, it's, it's scary and it's people with hoodies and it's, uh, and actually it's everywhere. And, and I think by not demystifying it, by just starting to teach uh, yeah, how uh, the world is working, and then we are keeping people in the dark and I think that's dangerous. All right, a couple of fast questions and we'll wrap up. If there is there anyone alive or dead that you would love to get advice from? 
Yeah, so the problem is I'm a bit of an iconoclast. So I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I always love to get advice. I, I tend to pick people that, uh, for, for the type of information I need. So there's not one person that... Uh, I'm not the type of girl that posters in my bedroom of people I was... You didn't have heroes? No. Okay. So your advice is varied. You, you'll look for it in different places. Yeah, I'd, I'd look uh, at yeah, different places. And I think not always... The obvious one. I'm not someone that's, uh, you know, I, I could say the obvious, but I get a lot of information for someone I meet in the park. Who's had a, I, I'm, I find that the most interesting is people who've had in, interesting lives. So I'm interested in people's lives. I, I often ask a lot of questions, and I think from their journey, I learn a lot, and it could be anyone. If you could go back uh 20 years and you could spend 15 minutes with the younger version of you what advice would you give her slow it down and why <laughs> because uh because yeah just appreciate the moment enjoy relax it would be fine um like you're slowing down now right don't be in a hurry <laughs> <laughs> are you following you can, maybe you can advise now? the current, <laughs> the current version is <laughs> yeah, 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 this is a yeah. present yeah. applicable <laughs> yeah. uh, set of advice here it's okay any any major things along the way that you believe to be absolutely true you took as full full 100 true and you turned out to be completely wrong on a topic uh not really no never wrong or just no never i have <laughs> just yeah, never corinne's never wrong <laughs> uh no but it's um yeah i thought about it no again just just don't judge people by the cover uh just uh just take your time uh Did you make misjudgment on the covers? Yeah, sometimes. I think we think one tends to to be fast in, in, in judging. I think it's important to go a little bit, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, I think the mistakes you make sometimes is just to, to put people in a box and to, and to judge. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's yeah, I've, I've been wrong about people. Uh, would you think uh, you, you turn around? I think we'll probably would be in there, but um, yeah, both ways. Both the you thought they were something, and they turned out to be less, and then also you thought they were something, and they turned out to be more. Yes, oh. yeah, yeah, both sides. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, listeners are out there. You know, these are either current or budding entrepreneurs with dreams or existing companies that are scaling up. Final question before we wrap it up. What advice would you give them? What, what words of wisdom do you have to, to these folks to, to say, hey, look, here's what you should know? Yeah, I, I would say don't follow conventional wisdom. I think that's the biggest risk in, uh, in entrepreneurship. Uh, you get a lot of advice from everybody, and, and normally it's based on what their vision is, and it's conventional wisdom. If you pursue something and you believe in it, you know a lot more than anybody that wants to give you advice. Go for it. So just just follow. You you if you're an entrepreneur, you're spending day and night probably on what you're doing. You know a lot more than anybody and all the advice you can get around. If we'd followed any advice we got, we would not have gone anywhere because everybody thought we would fail long time they've always told us this will never work that's number one don't follow conventional wisdom number two is surround yourself with good people it's all about people a good team people you trust and respect um and number three don't run out of cash that's a good one number three well that's it um i was describing to somebody today that we were going to talk and they said well what's she like and i said i think she was born with an extra set of batteries <laughs> that's my energy so thanks thanks so much for joining us thank you green it was a real pleasure having absolutely Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Scale Lab, a podcast brought to you by TechLeap. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it on your network via social media and give us your feedback. See you on the next episode. <laughs>